So we're, we're about to dive into our text. We're preaching through the Psalms. Here's my question for us this morning. I love to ask a question to kind of get our brains moving toward the text. Here's the question. What is the difference between a lament and whining? Right? Complaining, grumbling. I'll explain what a lament is if you're like, that's a, that's a bible word. Some of the guys who were in a men's study on Tuesday night are like, wait, we already talked about this. You got the inside track. You know what I'm saying, Randy. Okay, so what is the difference between lamenting, which is that we have a biblical model, right? We have a whole group of psalms called the lament psalms. What is the difference between lamenting and complaining, whining, grumbling, right? There's a right way to express our angst, frustration, disappointment, depression, what, you know, there's all sorts of things going on underneath, but there's a right way to express that. And then there's a way that's not helpful to express that, which actually was from our chapel service where they preached on Philippians 2, which says, do all things like grumbling, right? So, so what's the difference? And we asked that question because today we're in Psalm 88. So flip in your Bibles to Psalm 88. Psalm 88, just to prepare you, is the darkest of all the Psalms. It is the darkest of all the Psalms. And frankly, you're going to hear some things this morning that you're not going to like. And you may even struggle to agree with. I'll just be blunt. So so what we're going to do this morning is really what, what Psalm 88 is, is a very uncomfortable, candid prayer by the psalmist to God. And we are listening in on that. And so what we're going to do as we dive into the word is we're going to be practicing a little thing called listening. Maybe you didn't hear me. (laughs) Zinger. Uh, Listening. We're really bad at this. We're really bad at listening, right? One of the things that we often do, I know I do this, is someone will come to you with a problem or an issue that they have, and they will say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. And they, they start talking, and about, you know, a quarter of the way through their explanation, I know the answer. I've got their small little problem figured out in my big brain. And then they keep talking and I usually start doing one of these. Uh-huh. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you could just shut up, I would give you the beautiful, brilliant answer that I have to offer you. Like, I will fix your problem. Now, the irony is I can't fix my own problems, but I know I can fix all theirs super easy. Because I'm, we, but we stop listening, right? So we, we, we're, we're, we're sitting there and we kind of go, okay, okay, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we, we, we just start trying to give our advice, our input. And so what today is going to be for us is kind of a practice as we listen to the psalm of listening. Right? We, we have this temptation to, to hear someone and start evaluating, critiquing, and, and sizing up kind of how it should go. And, and this psalm really makes this uncomfortable for us. Well, we're going to have to go, man, I, hmm. so we're, we're going to listen this morning. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, this, this psalm is very disturbing, very helpful. And I'm going to pray that the Lord will use this psalm in our hearts to become people who know how to lament and encourage lament. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we don't like hard things, Lord. And so I pray that you would help us to hear hard things, to hear from you. Lord, we we need to be disrupted this morning. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to hear from you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, so this is Psalm 88. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole psalm all the way through, and then we'll come back, and, and we're, going to do, we're going to do five observations and three applications. Five observations. Even hear that, like, uh, uh, you know, like, I, I, I want to understand this more, and so we're going to just take a look and see what God would show us from this. So let me, let me read. Uh, now, you want to look at the, the prescript here, because this gives us who this is given to, which is important. A song, this is the 88, the prescript, a psalm of the sons of Korah, to the choir master, according to Mahalath and Lenoth, a mascal of Haman, the Ezraite. So I feel like my mic is hot here. Drop it down. Is that better? Yeah, I think it's a little better. Yeah? Okay. So I want you to note that this is, this, is, this is written for us for worship. This is given to the choir master to use in worship. I say that. Because, you know, we're reading the Psalms, so it's like, of course, the Psalms. Just wait till we read what we're about to read. I want you to remember, this was given to be used in worship. Okay, so this is verse 1. It starts at the top, and it only goes down from there, quite literally. Verse 1, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit. In the regions dark and deep, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You've caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or in, or in the faithfulness or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O oh Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death, from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. It's the word of the Lord. No turn there. No, no upswing. It, it, it ends on this, this difficult note. It ends on this, this dark kind of tenor. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at five observations. Five observations. We're going to see what's going on here. And we're going to just listen in. We're listening in on this conversation. And, and, and it's difficult. And it, it's going to raise up some things for us that are going to be very kind of off-putting and kind of unsettling. So observation one, let's see. Observation one is in verse one. 
This man is speaking to God. Observation one is this man is speaking to God. This is important for us to see because this illustrates verse one, O Lord, God of my salvation. This person has a relationship with God. This person is a believer. This person in modern day vernacular, if he was alive today, would be a follower of Jesus, right? This person believes and follows Yahweh. So we have to get that on the table because some might read this and go, well, he just doesn't know Jesus. He just doesn't know God. He just doesn't know what God is like. That's why he's saying the things that he's saying. He just doesn't quite get it. No, I see this man as someone who follows after God, is someone who is talking to God. This is a conversation we are listening in on where this follower of God, this follower of Yahweh is speaking to Yahweh. So observation one, which seems like an obvious one, but it's an important kind of ground layer thing that we're laying down is that this person is speaking to God with these phrases and these words. He's talking to him. And again, we get to listen in on that. Okay, so observation one is that he is talking to God. And because of that, we see that he is a follower of Yahweh. In modern day vernacular, he's a follower of Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of Yahweh's continued work. Jesus is Yahweh. Okay. That's an obvious one. That one's easy. Like, okay, he's talking to God. Cool. Let's see where it goes from here. Observation two. He is very distressed. He's very troubled. Look at verse 15 in particular. Afflicted and close to death from my youth up. I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Man, this guy's afflicted. So some translation actually says sick, sick from my youth up. Uh, many think that this psalmist is a person who's struggling with some sort of chronic illness that they've had from a very young age and have wrestled with the reality of why do I still have this affliction? Right? We think about the words of Paul who says, I had a thorn in my flesh, which most people think it's some sort of ailment that Paul had, that he said, I prayed that it would be removed, and for whatever reason, God did not remove it. So what we see here is that this guy is troubled, and he's troubled because there's this tension in his world where he is seeing he is following a God who saves He's following a God of salvation, and yet this God of salvation has not given him the reprieve that he so wants. So this person is afflicted. He's afflicted from his youth. So there's this probably some sort of physical ailment that he's wrestling with, and then that physical ailment, especially in the ancient world, causes something else to happen. Look at verse 8, which is then reiterated again in verse 18. Verse 8 says, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. Huh. Hear that language? He's afflicted not only because he has this physical ailment, but he has a relational ailment that's connected oftentimes to his physical ailment. And I'll say it this way. Uh, if, if any of you have chronic illness or you're around people with chronic illness, there, there's this, there's this um, empathy fatigue that happens 
right? We have people who are, who are walking in these difficult things. And so, you know, when they hurt, there's this difficult thing that they're walking in. And there's a loneliness that comes with that when you're dealing with these ailments and you yourself are wanting it to go away. You yourself are wanting it to be dealt with. I think about my friends who have really intense, um, like food allergies, like kind of, uh, Oh gosh, I'm forgetting the name. There's all those ones where you can't eat gluten and it's, it's all those gastrointestinal issues, right? And then every time they go out to eat, they have to say, oh, I'm not allowed to eat this. And, and, and sometimes around the table, they'll get eye rolls or they'll get this like, oh gosh, again. Like as if they chose to have this issue, right? And, and so one of the things that we see here is that uh, observation two, observation one, he's speaking to God. Observation two is that he's very, tr- he's very troubled because he has this physical ailment. And I'll say this, people who are dealing with ongoing chronic issues in their physical health, they don't just deal with that. They're also dealing with kind of the, the isolation that that creates, right? Because, because genuinely, authentically, in every real way I can say it, nobody truly actually understands what you're going through. You can say, oh, I get it. No, you don't. And part of that's okay to say, like, even if you have the exact same disorder, the way you experience that, the pain that's in your body is unique to you. There's an aloneness in your pain that is really hard to, to swallow because you talk to somebody and they're like, oh, how are you doing? You go, man, I'm not doing well. Why? Wow, oh, man, I hurt my neck. Oh, hmm. Oh, that's tough. Okay, well, see you later. You know, and they leave. And, and again, like, you know, not, not that they can change it. But we don't do well with this. We don't, we don't walk well with people in pain, whether it's uh, loss of a loved one, whether it's cancer, whether it's chronic, just something that we deem as more minor. But it's, hear me, when you deal with something that's all the time on your body, it is hard to walk in that church. And we don't, we don't do a great job as, as people. The church doesn't do a great job necessarily. Here, one of the things we do great at is like, I will throw some casseroles at some suffering, you know? And, and part of that's good, right? Where it's like, but I tell you what, there is therapy where you like, you roll up and you're like, all right, I got this lasagna here, gluten, sodium, processed meats, and I'm out, right? And, and like part of that's good. We should do that. We should serve some. But in some ways we think if we're doing that, then, then we're doing enough. And I think we should wrestle with all of this, right? That those who are dealing with physical afflictions have an aloneness in that. And we need to be able to one, give them that, and to lovingly kind of put our arm and say, look, I, I may not know what you're going through, but I want to go through it with you. How are we doing as the people of God at listening? Have you, have you been quiet enough with your friends? Quiet enough with your family to actually hear how they're actually doing? Sometimes it's just the, the noise drowns out. And, and hear it. They'll undulate in between whining and lamenting. Some of their stuff is probably the right way of saying it. Some of it's probably not the right way to say it. You know, so they're kind of grumbling, whining, lamenting, grumbling, whining, lamenting, kind of in and out. And we have to be careful not to become people who are like, ah, we get it. You got issues. It's hard. Okay. But to, to give grace and to go, hey, I know it's hard. I'm going to walk this road with you. So observation one is that he is speaking to God. Observation two is he is in some serious depression, troubled. Even troubled sounds kind of like clean. Oh, he's troubled. This guy is in a dark place. Did you hear that language about, I mean, he he gave literally every Old Testament metaphor for the grave. He he literally used all those words. The pit, Sheol, set loose among the dead, grave, uh, dark, deep darkness, waves, like any sort of place that signifies death. He's saying he feels like that's where he is. 
right? He feels like that describes his life. So he is very troubled and he feels abandoned. And frankly, he probably is in some sense. His friends have gotten tired of having to deal with his stuff. And in the ancient world, they probably said, well, and if you're dealing with all that, you're probably not really being faithful enough. I remember a church that I was a part of, and I remember a pastor in that church went to my friend who was in a wheelchair and said, if you just had enough faith, you could just get up out of that chair. And what I'd want to do is grab that pastor by the shirt and say, how dare you? God can heal, God does heal, God will heal, but he does it on his time, in his way, and sometimes, a lot of times, he chooses not to because he's got some other stuff he's trying to do. And we don't get to be the determiners of whether that person should or should not be healed. Hear me, God can heal, but he doesn't always heal. And you know how we know that? It's because every person in human history, except for about three, have died. Does that mean every person didn't have faith? It's categorically ludicrous, and we need to be careful how we as the people of God speak into suffering, right? Okay, so he's speaking to God. He's very depressed and troubled. Third observation, this is the one that's going to get us. The psalmist sees God as the cause of his pain. Say that again. The psalmist, he sees God as the cause of his pain. And lest you doubt, let's look at the text. Verse 6. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Verse 7. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me in all of your waves. Verse 8. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. Look at verse 15. I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Verse 16. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. Verse 18, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. So, so what's, what we see here, this third observation, he sees God as the cause of his pain. How do we feel about this? How do we feel about the reality that God causes pain? This is where, this is where our theology starts to get like, right? This is, this is what made me you know, anxious to preach. This is, this is tough. God causes pain. So I'll say this. So some sub points under our observation three, which is God is the cause. Well, what I should say is the psalmist sees God as the cause. What I'm trying to do is not insert my interpretation of what's in there. I'm trying to tell you what we're seeing in the text. The psalmist sees that God causes his pain. That's how he sees it. That's, that's his expression here. Okay, so, so we see that subpoint under that. Subpoint one is God permits, allows. What what word are you comfortable with? Um, God permits or allows pain. God initiates pain. Uh, which word do you like? Right, like God created pain. How do we feel about that? We like to clean all that up. Why do you feel pain? 
Well, we could say, well, we live in a fallen world. Right. Yes, we live in a fallen world. And one day we will be in a world. Hear me. This is part of the promise of Zion is one day we will live in a world where we don't have pain. But how did pain get here? Was it like God was like one day like, oh, how'd that get in there? Let's be honest, right? God has given us pain. God is the initiator of giving the gift of pain. Man, this, this gets really uncomfortable. I can feel it in the room. I feel pain right now. So let me give you two illustrations of why this is true. First, your toe. The bedpost. 2 a.m. You see where this is going. Right? You hit that thing. I've, I've used this reference before because there's something just uncanny and unequivocal to like, why that much pain for that? You stub your toe and you think to yourself, I, I'm, I'm terminally ill. I don't know what just happened, but I'm going to die from it because it hurts that badly, right? So, so why? Why that? Do you know there's a disorder where you can't feel pain and it's one of the worst things you can get? Why? Why is that? So here we are, we're all like <gasps> guffawing the idea that God initiates pain, that God gives us pain. And we're like, I don't know about that. But then you go, wait a second, what happens if you can't feel pain? In, in, in the state in which we're in, in, the, in, this, in this state, this, this bondage that we find ourselves, where the world is held captive, right? That we're waiting for the renewal, we're waiting for the resurrection. In this state where you're told the, the world is in, right? It's captive, right? We're, we're, we're waiting for it to be set free, Romans 8 tells us. We're waiting for that to happen. So what happens in this state if you don't feel pain? Well, you, you, get, in, you get in really bad trouble physically. Because what happens is when your hand is on a burner, your pain sensors say, uh, you might want to move that. Oh, and those who can't feel that when they get that, it's a, it's, a, it's a byproduct of some other illnesses. When that happens and you don't pull back and it just sits there and your flesh burns off and you go, oh my gosh, my hand is gone. Those people do not live very long lives. Their life expectancy is very short because they don't know when they've been injured, don't know to adjust. Pain is a gift from God for us to navigate this world that we're in. Someone sins against you, you sin against someone, and you know what you feel? You feel, ouch. Man, why would you say that? Why would you treat me that way? Why? Is that because you're just a wimp? Is that just because you're just, oh, you can't handle it? No, because when someone sins against you, you're realizing and acknowledging that something just happened that's not supposed to happen. And it hurts. When my friends whom I love, people that I care for, treat me in harsh and terrible ways, it makes me go, man, why are you doing that? I feel it emotionally, and I should. The guy who's being sinned against is like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's not a good thing. You need to be able to address the unhealth that's before you to go, hey, we need to work through this. You keep spitting in my face. You keep cursing at me. You keep stabbing me in the back. Ow, can we, can we work through this? One of us is, is, is needing to change and probably both of us are. God gives us pain in order to change, to notice, dare I say to listen, I even think about that quote from C.S. Lewis, right? Where he whispers to us. I'm probably gonna get this a little bit off. He whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our joys and he shouts to us in our pain, right? Are we listening? And here's the thing. 
I don't like to listen. I described kind of my internal world, right, sometimes. It's the same with God. We're like, no, no, Lord, if I can just have what I want, you can just, you can just shut it. I'll, I'll just do my thing. And just give me, you know, let me, let me eat my stuff and I'll do my thing. And No, 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 you just take it. I'm good. And so sometimes he reaches down and he takes my thing. I'm like, what? <laughs> my fire truck, we were doing fine. You didn't have what? And he's like, oh, now we're talking. Oh, now, now we get to talk? I'm like, well, I mean, I, yeah, I guess. I guess. Right? Because he's a good father. He wants my attention. So God gives pain. Two other things. So God gives pain. Second sub-point under point three, observation three. He sees God as the cause of his pain. God gives pain. God's powerful over pain. So we see this man crying. He says that, I've cried out to you. So he understands. He has an understanding that when pain happens, where do you take the pain? Where do you take the pain? You take it to the person who can deal and has the ability to deal with it, even though he may choose not to deal with it. You go, Lord, you have the ability. You can heal. You can resurrect. You can do all things. Nothing we know is impossible to our God. You are all capable of all things. Nothing, planets, universes, cosmoses, nothing stands in your way. You can remove pain. Lord, would you do it? And sometimes he goes, no. Because he's a good, good father. So he sees God as powerful over pain. That's why he is persistently going to God to deal with his pain. Well, hang in there, okay. So he sees God as the giver of pain. He sees God as, the, as one powerful over pain. And he's, look at three, he sees God as present in pain. Right? So we have really, we always have really great theological categories. He's omnipresent. He's all powerful. We have all these terms that we love, which means that when you are in your darkest hour on your darkest day in the darkest night in the darkest place in this world in the darkest thing you've ever done, God is not absent. He is there. And when you're in the midst of your pain, you cry out to him and you say, God, I don't know how I got in this mess. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I got cancer. I don't know why I'm here in the jail. I don't know why I'm here. God, would you help? And God is there. Right? I've said it this way before, and I will keep saying it probably until my last breath, that God is listening and God answers, but he often, most often, does not respond in the way that you expect. He can conquer the pain, but for some reason, which sometimes is a mystery to us. Because the point, hear me, the point isn't pain relief. That's my point. When I hurt my neck, when I had a herniated disc in my neck, I got to this point, it's the middle of the night, I'm like, I'm like sobbing on my living room floor, sitting there. Everyone else is in bed. I'm alone in my pain. No one else knows what's going on. I have a friend who's a doctor. He has the, 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 the authority to prescribe medication. I call him at two in the morning. I'm like, give me whatever drug will fix this. I don't care if it's addictive. I don't care if it's illegal. I want this gone. What do I need to do to fix my pain? What do I need to do? Because my priority in that hour is not, is not worship. It's not faithfulness to Christ. I just want relief. And I'll do anything to get it. And so because this is a good brother, and because he's solid, he goes, no, you don't want to do that. I was like, are you sure? I think I do. He's like, no, nah, you don't want to do that. I was like, one more time. 
you sure? I think, I think we do want to do that. I think, I think it's a good idea. He's like, no. I've seen lives ruined. It's not worth it. So God is present in pain. The narrative of the scripture is every dark hour we know God is in the midst and he's doing more than you can imagine. God is present. So that's the third subpoint under observation three. Last part of this, then we'll move on to observation four. He is wrestling with a God that he knows can save, but is choosing not to. Right? There's this, there's this tension in our soul, and we do all sorts of weird things with it. Where we're going, God, you can heal, but you're not healing. So sometimes what people do is they go, I must not be a Christian. Because if I was a Christian and I believed enough, then God would, he would answer my prayer. And I think part of why we have this psalm, right? This beautiful, um, beautifully messy, uh, there's some ugliness in here. Can it be, can it be beautifully ugly? I, I'm going to go ahead and say that. Where you're like, oh man, I'd rather skip over this one. What, what's being modeled to us is where we're wrestling. God can say, but he's choosing not to. And what we want to say is why? And God will often say, that's a great question. And not give any answer. Because his priority is not for you to get the answer. His priority is for you to need and to want and to desire and to pursue and to seek him. The greatest of all goods. Even if it means we have to be in pain. Right? The, the, the promise of the gospel is that we get Christ and we have a future and it's beautiful and wonderful. But part of it is, look, the, the priority isn't pain relief. The priority is sometimes our pain brings us closer to our King. So observation, so that we have observation one, he's speaking to God. He's addressing God directly. Observation two is that he's very troubled, depressed, afflicted. Observation three is he sees God as the cause of his pain. Observation four is he doesn't stop seeking God. This is partly why I think one of the major reasons the psalm is in the scriptures. Is you have this guy who is, who is saying, I mean, pretty intense things. Pretty disturbing things. He, he's asking these questions. It's like, man, he, he really feels like out of sorts. But he doesn't stop seeking God. Right? Look at verse, where are you? Nine. 9b, every day I call upon you, O Lord. Verse 13, but I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. This guy won't quit. He keeps crying out. He's speaking to God. He's very troubled. He sees God as the cause of his pain. He doesn't stop seeking God. And five, there's no resolution. I'll say that again. There's no resolution. One of the beautiful things about this psalm is there's no resolution. We like everything to be tied up in a nice clean bow. When's the last time something in your life was up, uh, tied up with a nice clean bow? Sometimes it does. But most days we go to bed going like, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen with that conflict tomorrow. 
I don't know what's going to happen at that doctor's meeting tomorrow. I don't know what the mechanic's going to say tomorrow. I, I, I don't know why that grease fire happened in my apartment. What, what, what's happening there? And the answer may never come. Let me say it again. It's not about the answer. It's about the king. Because God's end game is not to just give you all the little answers you want. He's saying, no, no, I want you. And I, and I want you to want me. Because you can have the fixed car and you can have the cancer-free report and, and the grave is still coming for you. And you, you would need a God of eternal life that is going to reconcile you unto himself and there's no other hope. And so if I need to give you some pain so that you will come to me and that you will cry out to me in this midst of this broken world that we are in, he will do it because he's a good father. So those are the last of our observations. He's speaking to God. He is very troubled. He sees God as the cause of his pain. He doesn't stop seeking God and there's no resolution. There's no clean answer here, which I love because my life is like this. So what do we do with this? So three applications. So part of the way I wanted to structure this was like we're listening. This is, this is, this is how listening works, right? Where we, we, we hear what someone's saying to us. Hear me, this is a little coaching for you guys, relationally. When you hear what someone's saying to you, you need to understand what they're saying before you start analyzing it, judging it, fixing it, correcting it. And get, you know, we, we, we already come up with the answer. We don't even know the whole issue. Where it's like, they're like, hey, did you catch that last part? You're like, no, no, I didn't need to hear that. I, I got what I needed in the first 10 minutes. No, no, no. We need to have more conversations where at the end of them, we say something like, hey, I, I, I love you. I'm not going anywhere. I'll be here tomorrow. I'll be here next week. And it probably isn't going to be fixed next week, next month, but I'll be here. I'll go to that appointment with you. And I won't have an answer. I won't have a why this is happening, but I will be there with you. And you know what we're being while that's happening? We are being the embodiment of the Emmanuelness of God, this God with us. Because God, what we know, right? God is in the midst with us in our pain. So applications. First application is speak freely with God. Speak freely with God. This is kind of teasing out what this looks like to do this work together. Speak freely with God. Too many of us are keeping our mouths shut in our prayer lives and we're saying the things we think we should say, right? We're going to pray and we're like, Lord, um, help me, amen. Because that's the cleanest version of that I can come up with, right? Like you can come in your mess. Like what's going on in here and in here? It's not like he's like, man, I, I wish I knew. You know, it's like Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, and Adam sins. What do we see? Adam runs off and he, and he hides. It's kind of hilarious. It's like you have Adam who's like, he's like, Adam, where are you? As if God doesn't know. Like, where is he? Oh man, he hid behind that tree. I can't, he must be, he must've disappeared. I don't know where he is. You know, God knows what he's going through, but what he wants is calling out to his son that his son would come to him freely and say, Yeah. And there's actually a little beautiful exchange that happens there. We don't really view it that way because we're thinking about other stuff in that text. But like, but Adam goes, I hid. Adam's being honest. I hid because I was afraid. You called and I, I got scared. Think about that. There's some beauty there. He's actually telling his father, what, he, he's scared. And he actually admits that. 
This, that's, it's kind of beautiful. Like I want my kids to come up to me and I don't want them, when something terrible happens to them, what I don't want them to do is run off and process it on their own and just go off in their room and they're, and they're just dying on the inside of all these horrible things that maybe said to them or happened to them and they're trying to sort out what to do. I don't want them to do that on their own. I want them to come to me and go, let me coach you through how this, how this works, how God is at work there and, and how can I walk with you in this? This is what God wants. He wants us to come to him and, and in the mess of it, you know, the profanity of it, you know, that you would come in all your messiness and you would lay bare before him. This is where you're at instead of trying to just get it all cleaned up so we have a nice presentation because we're doing that in the rest of our life, aren't we? Ain't nothing coming out of this mouth until I've had a chance to work it over a little bit, clean it up and give it to somebody else. Well, you know, every now and then I have some, you know, mildly difficult thoughts right? We clean it all up. We shouldn't do that with God. And the way we practice that is we don't do it with people, right? So we speak freely to God and speak freely to people. This gets into my introduction question, right? What's the difference between grumbling and lamenting? And we need people who love us enough to put their arm around us to do this kind of like, hey, I'm going to be there for you. And then maybe after the fourth or fifth time, think about Isaac here, you know, that we go through that. And Isaac kind of, you know, uh, the seventh conversation we have where he goes, hey, remember that thing you said about like grumbling versus, you know, whining? I think maybe you're kind of getting into the whining. Huh. Good point. Man, pray for me. Right? Well, we do that together. So this isn't just a free pass to just blah everything on everyone all the time. We all know people who do that, right? And that, that can be dominating and manipulative. That can be terrible. But we do want to wrestle with, man, how do I invite people into my pain? How do I invite people into my struggle? How do I truthfully deal with some of the darkness that's in here? Dark thoughts, dark desires, dark ideas. We need to let other people be the light to us to speak some of that. We need to stop hiding. Not with God and not with our neighbor. Take off the fig leaves. Let's, let's be open to each other, right? So what does that look like? Again, he doesn't get into all that. He just is modeling it for us. Again, one of the things that frustrates me about the Bible, even in preaching, is like, I wish he would just give me the, like, these are the three specific things that you do. You know, it's like, ah, we do know we need to be freely open with God and we need to speak freely with God's people, which small groups, by the way, is a place we, we learn how to do this. Not that it happens all the time, but to go, this is where we meet people who are wanting to do, do this kind of life together, right? Okay, second application, see God in the pain. So I'm gonna say that uh, uh, the wording here is very specific. See God in the pain. Not like through the pain or around the pain, but like as the pain is happening, to go, all right, Lord, I know you're here. This hurts, I don't like it, but I know you're here. Which, by the way, he, he's present other places too. But when pain happens, I usually just focus on the pain and just go, this is horrible, relief at any costs, I'll talk to God later. Instead of going like, all right, Lord, you're here. Whew, ow, my neck hurts. Man, I have shooting pain down my arm. Man, I can't function. I can't think straight. God, you're here. Oh, I hurt. I want surgery. God, you're here. Oh, I'm, oh my body hurts. Lord, I know you're here. Lord, oh, God, I know you're in here. Right? It ain't going to be pretty. We can't do this pretty. It's going to be by definition, you're going to be a disaster. And it's going to be good for you to people, for people to see you as the disaster that we are, right? We're finite creatures who don't control very much. 
So when we see you that way, that's good. Because that is who you are. That is who I am. Speak freely to God. Speak freely with others. See God in the pain. And then last, which is the last thing modeled, or, you know, point four, the first thing, do not stop seeking him in the dark. There's going to come a day, it may be today, where you don't feel him, where he feels distant. That's, that's what the psalmist is saying. He's like, why are you far from me? Oh, Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Keep crying out. Keep seeking. There's not a day, a moment, an hour too dark for the Lord to come and get you and to do his work. Keep seeking him. And this is the best thing we see from this psalmist is he is seeking after. We know that we have a great high priest who sympathizes with us in our weakness, who hears our cry, who's prepared the throne of grace for us to come and plead our case before him. And he is welcoming and wanting and desiring to hear our cries. In your darkest day, would we say, but I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Every day I call upon you, O Lord, and I spread out my hands. The picture I have in my mind is someone standing like this going like, why are you, God, what are you doing? Lord, help me. When I pray, that's, that's how I pray. And I'm driving down the road. And I'm like, what is happening? Why is it like this? And we just got to keep pressing. And we need to have other people come alongside and press with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you're a God who listens You're a God who actually inclines your ear to hear us. You want us to even, even whine. You want us to come and cry to you. You want to hear our prayers. You, you welcome us in our broken and fledgling cryings. You hear and are, are with us. You entertain our folly. Lord, would you... Teach us to lament. Teach us to seek you. Lord, would we be as this psalmist is, ever seeking your heart, ever seeking your will, ever seeking your presence, Lord. Would we be those kind of people who are constantly after you? Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.